Hello, and welcome to this download from Faber and Faber. My name is George Miller, and I'm delighted to say that my guest on this programme is quintessential New York novelist Paul Oster, author of The New York Trilogy and The Brooklyn Follies, among many other titles. When Paul was in London recently, he spoke to me about his most recent novel, Man in the Dark. In the book, retired literary critic August Brill, who's recovering from a serious road accident, spends a long dark night reflecting on his past and inventing stories to keep his ghosts at bay. Oster has said elsewhere that he wrote this book in a kind of frenzy. I asked him first where he thought that frenzy had come from. It's, it's very difficult to know, but I, I had the unusual experience for me of always seeming to know what the next word was going to be. So the book almost wrote itself, as they say. I, I, I felt as if I were the scribe. I had somehow slipped into Brill's skin, my protagonist, to such a degree that it was as if he were talking through me. And your other protagonist, Owen Brick, did he, did he, did he come fully formed, as it were, in the same way as, as Brill, or did he take more excavation? The situation came to me simultaneously, these, these two stories, the story and then the story within the story. I knew he was going to start in a hole in the ground, but at first I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen to him, and little by little I, I, I figured it out. It seemed to me, thinking about the book, that you've got three generations of one family in a house at night time, the, the narrator, August Brill, and his daughter and his granddaughter. And in their way, they're all, I suppose, they're all constructors of narratives. He has been a critic. He's now attempted to write his memoir, and that has stalled. And he has these sort of night, night thoughts, which he doesn't write down. His daughter is also a writer, she's a, a biographer, but she's having difficulty constructing this narrative. And then you've got the third generation, the granddaughter, who's interested in film and she's studying film, but she's also, you know, not kind of committing, not going the whole way. And I wondered if that, how, how deliberate that was to put those, those three people in a, in a similar but different sort of predicament in that, in that one house. The two main characters really are Brill and the granddaughter Katya. Miriam, the daughter, is important but there's a lot less about her situation than Katya's because Katya is in real trouble. I mean, her former boyfriend has been murdered in Iraq. She's suffering terribly. She's watching movies every day as a form of evasion. Uh, she's flooding her head with certain images so she won't have to think about the images of the murder of Titus, the boyfriend, which they've seen on a, on a video. In the same way, I think Brill is lying awake, insomniac, not wanting to think about certain things in his life and therefore evading them by inventing stories. Because it does seem to me, in the times when I've had those sleepless nights, I think we've all been through them, your thoughts tend to turn to dark subjects in the dark. You catalog your regrets. You go over the, the mistakes you've made in life, the times you've treated people badly, and generally just confronting the futility of your own existence. And uh, Brill is grieving his wife, who's been dead for a little more than a year. He's thinking about Titus. 
he's thinking about Katya. And it's, it's, it is finally a, a dark night of the soul. He, he begins the brick story, the man in the hole, throws him into an imaginary civil war in the United States. But I, I look at that story not so much as a political commentary on what's going on in the United States, although it is, but also as a representation of Brill's inner state, what he's feeling. It's, a, it's an emblem of his emotions. His thoughts are turning around and around on the subject of war because of Titus's death. But he makes a mistake, and it's all because of this state of mind that he's in. Little by little, he begins to implicate himself in his own story. He sets up a situation that's impossible. It's almost as if he checkmates himself, and he can't really think of a way to resolve it, and he ends the story quite brutally. But this brutality is an echo of what happened to Titus, you see. So it's, it's working on several levels at the same time. And the the story, as you say, that he has set in motion, really can only be fulfilled with a death, can't it? That it's either suicide or it's murder. Those are really the only two options. That Brill is the creator, as the creator of the story has opened to him. Exactly right. And and it seems to me, by implicating himself in the story, one senses a, a secret death wish on his part. But he can't kill himself in his own story. It's just simply not possible. <laughs> so, so, so Brick is the one who has to go. Is it too crude to see him as a, as an alter ego of of Brill? The, the names there are Echo's own Brick and August Brill, and he does. We learn later in the book that the fictional character manages to sleep with the girl whom whom Brill never managed to sleep with. And I, I was really, I was really. I don't know if amused is the right word, but the, the fascination of Brick with his progenitor leads to him actually reading his work and then more or less almost sort of taking a course in world literature as a result of, um, of his sort of fascination with his man that he's supposed to kill. I mean, can you say a little bit more about the relationship that you've, you've set in, in place between these two? Well, this is part of, the, this, is part of this self-implication that I was talking about. I know there's some people who who said, ah, Oster has made this uh, wounded uh, man a critic in order to get back at his critics, but this is not my intention at all. I I guess there are two kinds of reviewers, the assassins and the enthusiasts. And uh, for me, Abril is definitely an enthusiast, someone who loved books, wanted to write about books, and share his uh, passions with other people. And you get a sense of that because... Brick, who's not much of a reader, when he goes online and, and, and reads uh, Brill's reviews, he gets excited enough to go out and start reading some of the books, So, which would suggest that uh, there's a certain passionate quality to Brill's writing. Other than that, I think the situation that is set up is so crazy because Brick goes back to his real world, so to speak, and yet the war then spills over into into the other reality, the first reality. In other words, Brill is confused. This little thing about Virginia Blaine was just an example of how 
writers will use things from their own lives. In this case, Brill's not writing the story, he's just thinking it, but it's the, the intention is the same. He's remembered the girl he had a crush on when he was young, and he, he gives the girl that Brick had a crush on the same name. So he transposes the story. But this is, this is what typically happens in any work of fiction. You said that these, th- this imagining on the part of Brill is not necess- you know, the, the political aspect is not necessarily the one to, to, to dwell on to the expense of all other things. But I wanted to ask you a bit about the politics because it, it's clear that there were things going on in the United States at the time when you were writing this which irked you sufficiently to, to imagine this dystopian future or, or parallel situation where the United States was was split asunder? Well, I think the inspiration for this was the 2000 election, which was an outrage to me. And I I, I felt so frustrated and disgusted and angry and depressed about what happened. Because Al Gore won the election. He was voted president of the United States. And through political and legal maneuverings, the Republicans stole it from him. And I've had this eerie sense in the last eight years that we hopped off the tracks of reality. We've been living in a parallel world. The world we asked for is one in which Al Gore is now finishing his second term. The U.S. never invaded Iraq. And possibly 9-11 never happened either. And so I think this sense of living in 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 a... real unreal world inspired me to make this story and tell it through through Brill because in a sense his story is of course an exaggeration I'm not predicting a real civil war in the United States but I do think we are in a civil war of a kind not with bombs or bullets but with words and ideas and the country is very divided and the two halves are not able to speak to each other anymore. There's no common language. There's no discourse available anymore. If 40-something percent of Americans believe that the world was created in six days, how can I really have a reasonable conversation with any of those people? Because their minds are made up, and they're religious fanatics, and they feel they own the truth. And once you feel you own the truth, You don't want to discuss anything with anybody else. Someone who holds an opposing view is anathema. And there are many such issues that divide us. It's a a sad situation. As, As I watch, as we speak now, we're in the midst of the economic crisis around the world. Maybe, maybe something good will come of this in that if things get really bad, maybe some of these cultural issues will start diminishing in importance. Because I think when you're uh, really worried about where your next meal is coming from and whether you're going to be able to go on living in your house, I don't know if you're worrying too much about whether the world was created in six days or six billion years. In, in The Man in the Dark, it seemed to me that something that, that the reviewers hadn't really touched on a great deal, the ones that I had read, was the formative nature of Brill's experience in the 1960s when he sees riots in Newark, New Jersey. And it seemed to me that that, in a way, was something which had lodged very deep in his consciousness. And 
in some ways his dystopian thoughts had some seeds in, in those events. I mean, am I, am I reading that right? Yeah, I think you're right. And I'll make a confession here that that episode in the book is the only bit of autobiographical material. I've transposed things. Brill is older than I am. He has an older sister. But that older sister is loosely based on my own mother, and who was married to my stepfather, who was the Corporation Council of Newark. And, and what Brill describes, going to dinner with them in Manhattan, hearing the police calls on the radio, driving straight into Newark, seeing the riots in the streets, going to the mayor's office in City Hall, seeing the mayor, Hugh Adonisio, crying at his desk, going down to the jail, seeing all the beaten men in the cells. All that comes directly from my own experience. I've been walking around with that night in my head for, well, 41 years now. It was a startling thing to see. Absolutely horrible. Brill seemed to me to to be unable to kind of accomplish narratives. He wasn't able to accomplish his his memoir. He aborts the story of of Brick uh, quite quite violently and abruptly. Therefore, the, the the closing scene of the book has or had for me a greater sense of of resolution and completeness because instead of writing it down or executing it only in his imagination, he's in dialogue with his granddaughter. I know that some critics have sort of said, well, this, this seems rather artificial to have the grandfather and the granddaughter lying side by side in the dark. But it, but I, I, it worked for me. I, I, th- I felt that the, the, the way that she was kind of teasing out these thoughts and he was going back through his past really gave the book a sense of completeness. And I wanted to ask you to say a bit about how you how you handled that that scene, because clearly a lot of the, the, the book, I suppose, stands or falls on, on, on bringing that, that scene off. Well, for me, this is um, the thing that the entire book has been leading up to in one way or another. I I, I see it as a kind of musical composition, this narrative. Themes are sounded and then dropped. Other themes are sounded, then dropped. The first theme comes back. It's weaving in and out as as if it were a fugue. And then it, it takes a very sharp turn. And I think it was... You know, it's a risky thing to do, but it seemed correct to me that suddenly Katya comes downstairs. She's been awake herself upstairs in her bedroom, and she's heard uh, her grandfather coughing, and he's dropped something on the floor, so she she presumes he's awake. And um, she comes in, and they start to talk. That's when the novel finds its footing, I think, because it is, in the end a book about intimate matters, family matters, marriages, children. And Sonia, Brill's wife, is dead, and Katya wants to know about their marriage, and he he opens up to her and talks. To me, the earlier parts of the book build up to this in a a subtle way. The discussions of films, they're watching films and they talk about the films. But each one of those stories is a very intimate family story. And so the groundwork is being laid for for what what we get with with the Brills. This conversation is absolutely crucial. And it also, of course, 
brings to the forefront the death of Titus, which has been referred to throughout, but there in the, in the closing pages you actually hear what happened and what led him to go to, to Iraq. And Titus, of course, was also a writer, a, a would-be writer, or a, a very self-critical writer who felt his writing wasn't, wasn't authentic and he had to go and do something authentic in the world in order to, to find out who he was. The, the funny thing is, you know about Titus's death in the, I think it's the second or third paragraph of the book. And very interestingly, my American editor, who happens to be British, Francis Cody, said the interesting thing about that is that you know it and then you forget it because you get immersed in the other things that the book is talking about. And so when you finally do confront the Titus business later, it comes like a slap in the face. What happened to Titus is the germ of the entire book. It's the seed, it's the core around which everything else revolves. And I had to wait until very close to the end of the book because um, to, to, to really discuss it directly because that's what the book is all about. And it's a book which in some ways is saturated in, in grief and separation and loss. And yet in that closing scene, it seemed to me there is the possibility of reconciliation and coming to terms with, with who you are and what you've done and it's not perfect and you may not have made complete amends, but there is some, some way in which you can come to terms. No, I, I agree, I agree. I think the, the feeling, Brill's feeling of love for the two, Miriam and Katya, is, is, is what's keeping him alive. And uh, they all need one another. The three are very much dependent on the presence, each one of the other two. Because there's that moment, uh, see, Brill is living in the house in Vermont because of a car accident he had, and his leg was very badly hurt. And his daughter asked him to live with her, and he said, I don't want to be a burden to you. I, 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 you have enough problems as it is. And she said, no, no, you don't understand. I need you there. I need someone with me. I'm so lonely in that house. She's been divorced, and she's living on her own, and so she needs her father back. He needs his daughter. His daughter literally resurrected him. He thinks to himself, if Miriam hadn't taken me in, I'd probably be dead now. And, uh, and in the same way, he needs to care about Katya. He needs to, the effort of trying to get her out of her deep funk is, is, is finally a healing thing for Brill. Because when you start caring about other people more than yourself, then you, you, you forget your own problems and you become a real human being again. I was talking to Paul Oster about his latest novel, Man in the Dark, which is available now. If you've enjoyed this download, you'll find lots more author interviews and readings on the Faber website. Thank you for listening.